What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, a married couple had uh, several past due notices from a bank uh, for not paying their mortgage. And then uh, one day the wife opening up the mail uh, said to her husband, you know, the bank says this is our final notice. Isn't it wonderful that they're not going to bother us anymore? (laughs) You know, it'd be nice if a final notice actually meant that, that the bank wouldn't bother you anymore, that all the debts would be released and you wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. But, you know, the final notice is actually, you know, the last time that they're going to give you that notice before they send you to collection. uh, And that's when the real consequences come. And so, you know, it's never wise to ignore a final notice. This is true with banks. It's true with businesses. But you know what? It's most importantly true when it comes to a final notice that God gives to you and to me. You know, when God gives a final notice, we might be like that married couple and think, well, great, he's not going to bother us anymore. But the reality is it doesn't stop God from bothering us, so to speak. Uh, That final notice is his last encouragement to you and to me to accept him before you stand before him on judgment day. And that's when the real consequences come. So when God gives us this final notice, it's best to pay attention and not ignore it. Well, here at the end of John chapter 12, we have Jesus giving his final notice to those who have yet to put their faith in him. These are the final public words that Jesus is going to give before he dies on the cross. Now, in the next five chapters of John, uh, leading up to the cross, we're going to have the private words of Jesus to his disciples. But here at the end of chapter 12 is the final public words, public message, public notice that Jesus gives to those who don't believe in him. And Jesus here in this last public notice reveals his heart and his purpose for why he has come to this earth. And he's going to share four reasons why we should believe in him. And in this final notice, something that we're going to see here, it's kind of a summation of all that Jesus has been teaching throughout the Gospel of John through these last three years of his ministry. We're going to see that each thing that Jesus brings up of why we should believe in him is kind of a summation of what he's been sharing. And so as we go through these points, I'm going to be taking us to different passages of John that we've looked at just as a reminder of the message that we've been seeing from Jesus over and over is now kind of this final message, this final plea to those who have yet to put their faith in him to hear this final message so that they might come to know him and believe in him. Well, this final notice is given right before or right after, should I say, two specific things that John's going to share with us. It's going to be two groups 
and their negative response to Jesus. And before we see this final notice, John's going to reveal, hey, there's these two groups that have had this negative response, and these are the two main groups that desperately need to hear the final notice that Jesus is going to give. Well, the first main negative response that people had to Jesus, we'll start with where we left off last week. John chapter 12, starting in verse 37, says this. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah again said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. So the first negative response here towards Jesus is from a group of people that they choose not to believe in Jesus, but but John reveals something important that they chose not to believe in him even though there was this overwhelming evidence that they should have believed because of all the signs that Jesus has been doing that proved who he was. Remember, John specifically through this gospel shares with us seven specific signs. Now, at the end of the gospel, he says, Jesus did many more signs than these, but these seven I have written that you might believe that he is God. So John is saying, hey, these seven signs, these seven miracles are plenty of evidence to prove Jesus is who he claimed to be, God and Messiah, evidence that should cause people to believe in him. And if you remember these signs of uh, turning water into wine, healing the official son, healing the lame man by the pool of Bethesda, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing the man born blind, and the greatest one yet so far, the seventh one is raising Lazarus from the dead. And so all of these things should have got people to recognize and to see who Jesus was and therefore choose to put their belief in them. But they haven't done that. And notice now that after John reveals that there's this group who who chooses not to believe in Jesus in spite of all the evidence and the signs that that point to Jesus, he then quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes from the prophet Isaiah two different times, and each of these quotes reveals something about this negative response, this rejection of Jesus. The first quote reveals that Jesus would not have been surprised by the negative response, by the rejection of him, in spite of all the miracles, all the evidence, all that he's done. He wouldn't have been shocked thinking, I can't believe not everyone has believed in me. And because he knew, and God knew, and they knew far before Jesus ever was born in a stable, before he ever came to this earth, You see, God spoke to Isaiah to prophesy something about the coming Messiah that would have revealed that Jesus already knew what this response would be. This first quote that John is giving from Isaiah is from Isaiah 53, verse 1. And this is why John says this, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
Now, when Isaiah says the arm of the Lord, he's speaking about the the might, the strength that God has. And so he's speaking about the one in which God would, or the way in which God would reveal himself when he says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That God's going to reveal himself through his strength, through his might, through his power, which is something that we clearly see with Jesus and the miracles and the signs. And that's what John's revealing, that the might of Jesus displayed through miraculous signs has revealed who God is, which is Jesus. But even with the evidence and the revelation, some people still didn't believe. And that's why Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? See, God knew that there would be many, even with all the signs and the evidence, that would still choose to reject Jesus. That would still choose not to believe the report that he gave through the power of Jesus here in this world. So the first quote from Isaiah reveals Jesus wasn't going to be surprised by the negative response. He knew it was going to happen. And the second quote is from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And it reveals a judgment, a specific judgment that God gives to those who willingly reject Jesus in spite of all the evidence that there is for him. This is what John says, Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. For those who chose to reject Jesus, in spite of the overwhelming evidence that Jesus is God, God brings a judgment upon them by giving them over to their blindness, by giving them over to their hard hearts that cause them to reject Jesus. Now, it's important to note that God is not blinding them. He's not hardening them against their will. He is blinding them and hardening them towards their will. And that's something very important. He's not saying, oh, you want to believe you have these open eyes and this soft heart and I'm going to make you blind and hardened. No, he's giving them over to what they've already chose, which is to blind themselves and to harden themselves against the truth of who Jesus is. You see, they have chosen to blind themselves and harden their own heart towards Jesus's and the evidence of Jesus which is overwhelming, and God's judgment is He gives them over to their blindness. He gives them over to their hard hearts. And the sad result that Isaiah brings here is now they couldn't believe. Now we need to make sure we understand they're not being able to believe. It's not because their freedom of choice has been removed. Actually, it's the exact opposite. Their freedom of choice has been granted to them. God is saying, hey, if this is the direction you want to go, if this is how you want to believe, if this is how you want to respond to my son, fine. I'll give you over to it completely. You can just stay blind. You can just stay hardened. This is actually a judgment of God because the mercy and grace would be, I'll continue to try and change your heart. I'll continue to try to open your eyes. I'll continue to try to help you see who Jesus is. But there is a judgment that God says, you know what? You've reached a point that if this is where you want to go, I'll just give it to you. I'll just allow you to continue down your will, your desire to reject my son, to be blind to he is, to be hardened to he is. Now, after John quotes these two passages in Isaiah, he says one more important thing about Isaiah in verse 41. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. This is important to note here that John's saying, hey, when Isaiah says these two things that I've quoted from Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 6, 
it was based upon Isaiah actually seeing the glory of Jesus. You know, and this is something that's important because in Isaiah 6, we're told that Isaiah, it's this wonderful vision of he sees the glory of Jesus as Jesus is sitting on his throne. The train of his robe fills the temple. Isaiah has this amazing vision, this amazing, you know, he gets to see this reality of Jesus and it impacts him in a very powerful way. But you know what? Isaiah also saw another aspect of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53, which is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament, all about Jesus' suffering and death that he would have for the sin of the world. So not only did Isaiah see the glory of Jesus, the glory of the coming Messiah, he also saw that the coming Messiah would be one who would suffer and who would die for the sin of the world. But John is helping us see that, hey, there's this contrast between what Isaiah saw and what he then chose to do for himself versus what these people of Jesus' day saw and what they chose to do with that information. Because Isaiah saw the Messiah in his glory, and he also saw the Messiah as the suffering servant, and he chose to put his faith in the Messiah, whereas the people in Jesus' day, they see the glory of Jesus. But they didn't like the fact that he was going to be a suffering servant. That was their issue. That was their problem. And so they have rejected the one that God has sent to save them from their sin. Now, unfortunately, in our day today, there are many people who do not believe in Jesus. Even though there's overwhelming evidence to prove it, they just look at that evidence and they blind themselves. They harden their heart. They do not want to accept that Jesus is God that he is the only way to salvation, that he's the one who's paid the price for their sin, that he's the only way to have a relationship with God. They just reject that in spite of all the evidence that comes with it. So the first main negative response that people had to Jesus is they did not believe in him in spite of the overwhelming evidence that speaks of him. The second main negative response that people had to Jesus is in verses 42 and 43. It says this, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So notice here the difference between these two negative responses. The first negative response, they have all this overwhelming evidence and they choose to reject the evidence and reject Jesus and they don't believe in him. But the second group, we have a different response. They see the overwhelming evidence, and instead of rejecting Jesus, we're told that they actually believe in him. And you would stop there and be, oh, this is so wonderful, but John tells us something that's not so wonderful. This group that believes in Jesus, notice what John says, this sad reality about them. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So many people believe in Jesus, that they're recognizing who he is because of this overwhelming, miraculous signs that he did, especially the most recent one of raising Lazarus from the dead. This must be the Messiah. This must be God. They come to that belief, but yet we're told they're not willing to openly and publicly confess that they believe in Jesus. It's kind of this this hidden thing. Oh, we don't want to tell anybody. We, We don't want to make that public. And there are two reasons why that's the case. Two reasons that John gives us for why they will not openly and publicly confess that they believe in Jesus. The first reason is because they fear the consequences from the Pharisees. 
You know, if we remember back when Jesus healed the uh, blind man, he was blind from birth, and the Pharisees wanted to claim, oh, he was never blind, this was all just something that is made up, and they call his parents in, and they have this kind of interrogation with him, and we're told at that point that they said to anyone, if you claim that Jesus is the Messiah, you will be cast out of the synagogue. You'll be put out from it. And we noted that was such a huge thing to have happen at that time because it wasn't just a separation from public worship. It wouldn't be like, well, you know, you just can't come to our church anymore. It was far more than that. It was a separation from social interaction from all other Jews. You would be a complete outcast. You couldn't be around family. You couldn't be going into the, you know, buy things in a grocery store. I mean, you would have been ostracized from everything. So this was a huge deal to be put out of the synagogue. And you could understand why people feared that. And so this was one of the big things. They knew that the Jews or the religious leaders more specifically, said, hey, if anyone is confessing that Jesus is the Messiah and putting their belief in him, we are going to just put you right out of the synagogue. And so one of the reasons that people weren't willing to publicly confess their belief in Jesus is because they feared the consequences that the religious leaders would bring upon them, mainly being put out from the synagogue. But there's another reason, and maybe a more sad reason, And maybe the reason that kind of leads from the first reason, we're told they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They wouldn't openly and publicly admit that they believed in Jesus Christ. Why? Because they loved people's praises more than God. They were more concerned about what people thought of them, what people would say about them, than what God thought of them and what God would say about them. That as they walked in the streets, oh, I don't want to be known as a Jesus follower. I don't want to be known as someone who's put my faith in him. It wasn't just the ramifications of what the religious leaders would do. It was the fact that they wanted the approval of people. They wanted people to praise and like them more than they wanted God to praise and like them. And so they willingly chose to say, you know what? We won't believe or, or at least confess that we believe in Jesus so that nobody will know about it so that we can kind of keep it under wraps and secret. Well, Jesus has an important message for both of these groups. His final message, his final notice that he's going to give before he goes to the cross, the last time he's going to publicly stand before these people, his last opportunity to share a very important message for them, an important message for us as well. Let's see what Jesus' final notice is in verses 44 through 50. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in that day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command. What should I say and what should I speak? And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father told me, so I speak. Notice here, before John gets into the details of what Jesus says, he reveals something important. Jesus cried out 
and said. Now, the Greek word here translated cried out means to shout in a loud voice. You know, this is something that you'd want to do to really make sure everyone has your attention and that they would know that you are proclaiming something that you desperately want them to know and to hold on to and to walk away with. And you know what? This was actually not Jesus's normal teaching style. He taught us in a normal voice. He wasn't someone who shouted out. But there are a few instances through the Gospels that reveal there were times when Jesus decided, you know what? I need to shout right now. There's a message that I'm uh, giving that I need everyone here to hear, and I want them to understand the significance and importance of what I'm about to say. And so this is what Jesus does. His final notice, his final message to this public crowd, he says, hey, I'm going to shout it out. I'm going to make sure that everyone hears what I'm about to say. And in this final notice, Jesus is going to give four reasons why we should believe in him. And as I mentioned at the beginning, this is a summation of things that we have been seeing Jesus teach, things that Jesus has been had said about him throughout the Gospel of John. And now it's kind of this culmination here at the end where he takes all these main themes and he shares them for this crowd to hear so they might come to a knowledge of the importance of believing in him. So as we look at these four reasons for why we should believe in Jesus, I want to highlight some of these truths that we've seen through the Gospel of John, just reminding ourselves of this isn't the first time Jesus has shared this. This has been something that has been over and over again. And I want us to really take hold of it because if Jesus says it a lot, guess what? We should take uh, note of that. We should pay attention to it. That is something that he really wants people to know if he keeps saying it over and over and over again. So the first reason Jesus gives for why we should believe in him is in verses 44 and 45. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. So here Jesus wants to make very clear something that's super important. Those who believe in him, they don't just believe in him, but they also believe in God the Father who sent him. And those who see Jesus don't just see him, they also see the Father who sent him. What Jesus is declaring here is the oneness and the unity that he has with God the Father. Something that he has spoken of many times throughout the Gospel of John. Something that's very important for us to understand and note. That's why Jesus says it so much. John chapter 10 Verse 30, Jesus says it very clearly, I and my Father are one. In John 10, 37 and 38, Jesus says, If you do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. John 8, 19 says, Then they said to Jesus, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. So here are just some instances that we see throughout the Gospel of John of Jesus connecting himself to the father, that there is a oneness, that there is a unity between the two, that he is one with the father. And what Jesus is declaring when he says that, hey, I am unified with the Father, I am one with the Father, is that, hey, I am God. 
And we know that the religious leaders understood this. They wanted to kill Jesus when he said, I and the Father are one. They recognized what he was declaring, what he is saying. But notice Jesus also says in verse 45, And he who sees me sees him who sent me. This is another truth that we see throughout the Gospel of John. You see Jesus, then you actually see the Father. All the way back in John chapter 1, verse 14, we're told, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In John 1.18, we're told, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And we're going to see when we get to John chapter 14 that Philip's going to ask a question to Jesus. Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And notice how Jesus responds to Philip. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. So those are just a few examples of the fact that throughout John's gospel, we see this reality that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Well, how is that possible? Because Jesus and the Father are one. There is this oneness between them. And so Jesus can say, hey, Philip, have I been with you so much that that you, you haven't seen me? When Philip is asking the question, show us the Father. And Jesus is saying, look, look at me. If you look at me, you'll know what the Father's like because we are one. Now, many people in Jesus' day that they would say, oh, we believe in the Father. We just reject you. You know, we accept the Father. We just reject the Son. Well, John, in another book that he writes, 1 John, he tells us the big problem with rejecting the Son if you still think you're going to have the Father. He says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. This is so important to recognize. John is saying, hey, if you deny Jesus, guess what? You don't have the Father either. You can't say, oh, I just want the Father, but I don't I don't want the Son. I reject the Son, but I surely have the Father. John says, no, no, it's a package deal. You reject Jesus, guess what? You don't have the Father. But here's the other side. You accept Jesus, you have the Father as well. They come together because they are one. You can't, you know, separate them. So the first reason Jesus gives for why we should believe in him is because he is one with the Father and only through belief in him can you have a relationship with God. This is the first thing that Jesus really wants us to get to understand something we've seen throughout this gospel. The Father and I are one. And here's the reality. You must believe in me if you want a relationship with him. The religious leaders thought, hey, no, no, we already have the relationship because we're descendants of Abraham, because we seek to keep the law, because, you know, they have all these different reasons. Jesus said, no, the way to get a relationship with God is to believe in me. Why? Because I am one with the Father. It's through me only that that happens. The second reason Jesus gives for why we should believe in him is in verse 46. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Notice here that Jesus speaks of himself as a light into the world, but also 
If you believe in him, you will not abide in darkness. Now, if you've been paying attention as we've been going through the Gospel of John, you will remember, hey, this is something that Jesus has said many times about himself, connecting himself to light and connecting the world around him and the sin of this world and the ruler of this world to darkness. And let me remind you of some of those things that we've seen in this Gospel so far. In John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, we're told, In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In John chapter 1, verse 9, we're told that Jesus is the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. In John 8, 12, we're told, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. In John 9, 5, we're told, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So as we come here to chapter 12, verse 46, and, and remember we see him saying, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Jesus is summarizing a theme that he's been sharing over and over and over again throughout this gospel as he shares with crowds, as people come to him, he wants them to know he is the light of the world. He is God. And guess what? The only way to escape the darkness of this world, to escape the darkness of sin, to escape the darkness of Satan, is to believe in the light, to believe in Jesus. A theme that we've seen throughout the Gospel of John is now shared once again. His final notice, he wants them to know, I'm the light. And if you want to escape the darkness, there's only one way to do that. You have to believe in me. The second reason Jesus gives for why we should believe in him is because he is the light of the world and only through belief in him will you escape the darkness. The third reason Jesus gives for why we should believe in him is in verses 47 and 48. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Here Jesus shares something so important for us to understand. He says, hey, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save it. But those who reject me, they are going to be judged at the last day. So my desire, my heart, my, my passion for coming to this earth wasn't to judge people for their sin. It was to save people for them sin. But there are those who are going to reject me. And so there will be judgment that comes on the final day, the day of judgment. And once again, this is another truth that we have seen throughout the Gospel of John. Something that has been said many times. John chapter 3 Verses 17 and 18 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is condemned, but he who does not believe is not condemned, sorry, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 5, 45-47, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. 
For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And as we saw last week in John chapter 12, verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And we noted that was in the context of being lifted up on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus was going to take the judgment of the world upon himself. And as he did that, he was also going to cast out the ruler of this world, Satan, all because of that sacrifice on the cross. So Jesus is making something very important known that he's been made known several times before this. I didn't come to judge the world because of its sin. I came to save it from judgment because of its sin. You see, because of our sin, you and I deserve the judgment of God. But Jesus didn't come to bring that judgment. He came to save us from that judgment. And when he went to the cross, not only did he take our sin, he took the judgment for our sin upon ourselves. Why? Because he came not to judge. He came to save us from our sin. I think something important to note here is that Jesus didn't need to leave his throne in heaven. He didn't need to be born in a stable in Bethlehem. He didn't need to become a man. He didn't need to live a sinless life. He didn't need to die on the cross if his only goal was to judge mankind. If that's all Jesus wanted to do, he could have stayed seated on his throne in heaven and judged mankind. He didn't have to get up and leave. He didn't have to come to this earth. He would have judged mankind perfectly fine from the throne in heaven that he was in. But because his desire, because his reason for coming was not to judge, but to save, he had to get up from that throne and come to this earth. He had to be born as one of us. He had to live that sinless life. He had to go to the cross and die for the sin of the world and be raised from the dead because it was only that that could save us. And so if he was just going to judge us, he would have stayed in heaven. The reason he came to this earth and did all that he did is because he came to save us to save us from the judgment that we deserve, to save us from our sin. But the only way for us to receive that, the only way for us to be saved, is if we believe in Jesus. For those who don't believe in Jesus, but instead choose to reject Him, as we see the people that Jesus is talking to are in that boat, He has this to say in verse 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. We need to understand something. Jesus said, hey, I didn't come to judge, but that doesn't mean that you'll escape judgment. I came to say, but that doesn't mean you'll receive salvation. I did all that was necessary for you to escape judgment and receive salvation, but it's up to you to choose whether you will believe in me for it. And for those who choose to reject me, there will be a judgment. And that judgment's going to come, as Jesus says, on the last day. Well, what's he speaking of when he says the last day? He's speaking about the judgment day. If you go to Revelation chapter 20, you're going to see Jesus sitting on the great white throne of judgment and everybody is going to come before him and stand before him. And there's books written of all the sins that you've ever committed. And it's going to be judged. But we're told there's only one group of people that's going to escape that judgment. 
It's those who have put their belief in Jesus and he writes their name in the Lamb Book of Life and they are now not going to be judged for all that they did because Jesus took that judgment on the cross. But for those who have rejected Jesus, they will stand before him. They will stand before the judgment seat on the last day and they will be judged for every single sin that has been recorded by God from the day they were born to the day that they die. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I didn't come to judge you. But if you reject me, there will come a day in the last day where judgment will come. Because the only way to escape that is if you believe in me. So the third reason Jesus gives for why we should believe in him is because he is the savior of the world. And only through belief in him will you escape the final judgment. Yeah, I'm saddened when I see that so many people just kind of feel that God just wants to judge and that that's his heart, that's his desire. He's just sitting on the throne, just waiting to judge him. And when Jesus makes so clear, that's not why I came. I've done everything possible to make it so you don't receive judgment. I took it myself so that you could escape it. And so we need to recognize the heart of God is not to judge you. The heart of God is to save you. But he's not going to force you to believe in him and escape the judgment. That's something that you must choose for yourself. The fourth and final reason Jesus gives for why we should believe in him is in verses 49 and 50. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command. What should I say and what should I speak? And I know this that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father told me, so I speak. Here Jesus wants to make very clear, hey, the the words that I speak presently to you, the words that I've been speaking throughout my whole ministry, these are not coming just from me. These are coming from the Father. The authority that I have to speak these words is not just coming from my own authority. It's authority that I've been given from God the Father. The only thing that Jesus speaks is what the Father has told him to speak. And once again, this is a truth that Jesus has been revealing over and over again throughout the Gospel of John. In chapter 5, verse 19, we're told, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. In John 7, 16, we're told, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but him who sent me. In John 8, 28, we're told, Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Time and time again throughout Jesus' ministry, he has shared this very important truth with those who would listen to him that my words, my message, my doctrine, what I'm declaring to you is not something that I just made up. It's not something that's just mine. It is something that I receive from the Father and now I give it to you. What I speak is from the Father. My authority comes from the Father. I'm declaring what the Father has told me to declare to you. But I want you to note something important that we see here in verses 49 and 50. The Father who sent me gave me a command. And what should I say and what should I speak? And I know that his command is everlasting life. Notice Jesus says, hey, 
The Father has told me what to speak. I speak what the Father tells me to. But there's a command that the Father has given me. A command that He has told me to declare to you. And notice what Jesus says about this command. This command is what leads to everlasting life. The message that Jesus has been proclaiming since He started His ministry, the message that's been summed up right here, why you should believe in Him. Why? Because ultimately this command is the only thing that leads to everlasting life. You want everlasting life in heaven with Jesus? You have to put your belief in Him. And that is why Jesus is giving these four reasons why you should believe in Him. The command that the Father gave to Jesus was to declare these things so that people could have everlasting life in heaven with God, a relationship with Him, forgiven of their sins, not suffering the judgment that they deserve in hell. It all comes back to who Jesus is and a belief in Him. And He's saying, hey, the message I'm declaring about myself and who I am and why you should believe in me, this is the only message that leads to everlasting life and that's why you need to Believe it, accept it, and put your trust in who I am. So the fourth reason Jesus gives for why we should believe in Him is because He speaks the Father's command that is everlasting life, and, the o- and only through belief in Him will you receive it. So in Jesus' final public message before He goes to the cross... In his final notice to those who still have not chosen to put their belief in him, he shares a message about how to receive eternal life. He shares a message about four reasons for why you should believe in him. Because it's only through belief in him that you can receive eternal life. And I think this is a great place for us to stop right now in this week leading up to next week because as you probably well know, next week we're going to have two services focusing on two wonderful celebrations that we have as Christians. Friday we have Good Friday focusing on Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Sunday we have Easter Sunday focusing on the resurrection. But notice this is the final public message Jesus gives before he goes to the cross But yet, John's Gospel has a lot to say still before he gets to the cross, but all that is private. The other stuff is public. The the next bit is just between him and the disciples. This is the final public message that Jesus gives. And so I think it's a great point in which we're stopping and we're going to be leading to uh, Good Friday and the cross and the resurrection. And then once we look at that, we're going to come back to John and we're going to be able to see these five chapters that John gives us of the private things that Jesus is declaring to his disciples now that he's given this final public notice. Well, a man received a final notice from the IRS that told him that his tax payment was overdue, and if he didn't uh, immediately pay, that he would be facing legal action. So he hurried to the IRS office and he uh, had his payment in hand. He tells the man, you know, I would have paid sooner, but I never got your first notice. The clerk replied, we ran out of first notices and second notices, and besides, we discovered that the final notices are much more effective. You know, Jesus' words here at the end of John chapter 12 is a final notice, one that we should pay attention to, one that we should listen to. Don't ignore the notice. Don't put off trusting in Jesus. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, that he is God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that He rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, that He did it for you, 
Hear the message that Jesus gives, the reasons why you should believe in him. Do not put this off because we're not told how many more days we have left in this life. We're living in a time where people are dying from a coronavirus disease. We have all sorts of different things. We don't know how much longer we have, but this is what the Bible tells us. In this life, in this life only, do we get to make a choice to believe in Jesus. And then once we die, we will be those who stand before him on judgment day. And all the books written of all the sins that we've ever committed, we're going to be judged for those. And so don't put off choosing to believe in Jesus. Don't put off this final notice for yourself. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. Let's pray.